All right, I, I have quite a bit I wanted to talk about today, and I know that time is slipping by here, and I know that we have a lot going on, and I don't really want to, uh, I don't want to cut this short, but at the same time, um, I know. So I'm going to really move fast. I want to talk about the book of Titus today. If you want to actually turn to your Bible to the second chapter of Titus, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, Titus is a book that was written by Paul, and Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this book. This was really written between the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And Paul was an amazing man. Paul really um, had a story in his life. Paul was a very educated man, a very learned man, a very honorable man. He was a, a man of utmost religious experience from the Jewish perspective. He grew up as a Jew, one of the best of the Jews. But he had a conversion experience that kind of rocked his boat. And uh, he became a Christian Jew. And he became one of the most influential men in religious history. And therefore, we can learn a lot from Paul. And we're not learning just from Paul. What we're learning from is the Holy Spirit writing through Paul. Understand that. It's not just Paul's ideas that we're reading. When we read the Bible, when we read the New Testament and understand that Paul wrote most of it, understand that that's not Paul. What that is, is that's Paul's willingness to be used as a vessel of God. And that's the Holy Spirit writing through Paul. He just happened to be the man of the hour. But it was the Holy Spirit's words. And that's what we're reading when we read what Paul's talking to Titus about. And Paul talks very clearly to Titus. And also then very clearly to us. Very directly. And you know, I don't have any problem reading the word and reading the directness of the word. I know it's not politically correct in today's society. The word comes too strong to many people. But that's the word of God. And that's the way we're going to preach it, and that's the way we're going to teach it. We're not going to soften it. We're not going to water it down. We're going to preach it as the Bible says it. And that's exactly the way Paul wrote it. He didn't, he didn't write it so that we could water it down. The Holy Spirit didn't inspire these men so that we could then come later and soften it. The Holy Spirit wrote it, intending it to be read and lived, just the way he inspired it. So when we read it, I want to encourage us today that we do everything we can to hear the words and then to live them out to the very best of our ability, not to let anything that would come that would want to bring confusion or distraction or any other type of um, different viewpoint on, than on what God is trying to talk to us. So let's read, first of all, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Again, this is Paul talking to Titus. Titus is the pastor at this time of the church or churches that he and Paul had established. And Paul's in prison. Paul's writing letters to Titus, and he's trying to give him instruction from prison. And he tells, he tells Titus in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, uh, You must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that Titus, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What he's really doing here is he's teaching Titus to teach pastors. He's really teaching Titus to go into the churches that you're over, to the other elders. You're going to be a teacher to pastors. You're going to be a teacher to other elders. So when you go there, teach them that they must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that they, the other pastors, can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now he's talking to two different groups here, which I find very interesting. 
He's first of all talking to, the, he's talking to those that are encouraged by sound doctrine. Those are the true Christians that are encouraged when they hear sound biblical truths that are being taught because they're willing to be motivated and have a proper fear of the Lord that when they hear sound doctrine that they're not offended by it, they're not put off by it, Rather, they're encouraged by it because they're willing to change. None of us have attained perfection. All of us, including myself and every pastor and every church leader, I don't care who it is, all of us are still on the journey of our, of our Christian life. So that we are on, we were one of two people. We're either those being encouraged by sound biblical, te- sound biblical teaching because we really love Jesus and we're really trying to please him, or were the other group that he's talking about are those that they, they need to refute those who oppose it. And those are those either vile sinners or many times in the church we have confessing or professing Christians. The difference between a professing and a confessing are different. <laughs> There's a lot of people that profess Christianity. But just because you profess you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. No more than I'm John Glenn or any other man that I wanted to be. I, I can profess him, but I'm not him. Therefore, if, unless you're a confessing, repentant Christian, you're, then you're a professing Christian, which means you may not be a Christian at all. Those are the people that Paul said, Titus, you need to refute those people. So there's two levels, there's two types. There is the true Christian that is encouraged by sound biblical teaching. And then there is the type that, we are, that is being refuted by sound biblical teaching. So the question is today, which one are you? That's your question. All those in church leadership, all those, whether you're a Sunday school teacher Uh, a a youth pastor, a lead pastor, an associate pastor, it doesn't make any difference. All those in church leadership must be willing to teach according to the Word of God. If you're not teaching to the full Word of God, then you shouldn't be teaching and you shouldn't be preaching because if you are and if you're not preaching God's Word in its entirety and in, in its strength, then you're a false teacher and you're a false prophet. And woe is you or woe is me if I'm not doing that. In in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, another um, admonition from Paul, this time written to to Timothy. And for those that have been with us on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about Timothy. And uh, this was, 2 Timothy is actually Paul's last letter. This is the last time he has an opportunity to, to, to address Timothy or any, really any Christian body, because he's this close to being martyred. And this is the last things he gets to say. So if Paul is saying these things in his last words, they must be pretty important. If you had opportunity to tell your son or your daughter or somebody you loved what you were going to tell them at the last things you said, would they be important? Would you waste your time talking to somebody, giving them instruction if it was your last words? No, you wouldn't. You would give them your heart. And this is exactly what Paul is giving to Timothy here. These are chapter 4. This is the last chapter. This is getting to the end for Paul. So, you gotta, so we need to listen here because Paul is really saying what's on his heart for a good reason. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first five verses. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Wow. Those are some really great, powerful words written and given by Paul to Timothy. Those are words that are given from Paul through the Holy Spirit to Mike. And to you, you put your name in it. That word is to you as much as it is to Timothy. It doesn't make any difference what position or what pattern you have in this church. You don't have to be the pastor. You just have to be a Christian man or a Christian woman. And these words come to you. Preach the word. Preach it. Live it. When you're living, you're preaching. When you're living, you're preaching. In our new membership class today, we were talking about the, the, the importance of the church. I, I'm not going to preach. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to talk a little bit. I'm not, I don't have time to get through this. We're, gonna, uh, we're just going to talk. We, we talked about um, the importance of being Christian people. And we talked about the body of Christ, the church of Christ, is not this building. It is not the four walls that make up this building. The body of Christ is me. I am the temple of God. You are the temple of God. You are the body of Christ. When you leave this church building, you are taking the church into the world that you live. People are looking at you and they are measuring the church of Christ by they're looking at by your life, by my life. Now, to some, that's an encouragement. And to some, that is, that's, a, that's a platform to preach the word of God. To others, it's a game. To others, it's a, it's a shameful experience because I'm not really living the word of God I'm playing the game of the Word of God, and therefore when I go out in front of people, I have to put on the right face in front of the right group because I'm with this particular group of people that I have to be like them. That's a dangerous game to play. And the people that lose are the people that are playing it. So, the other side of what... Paul was saying to Titus here is the, the, those that we have to refute are the ones that we come against in love, in love, in love, and we work with them and we, we teach them and we want to instruct them and we want to tell them to stop playing the games that you're playing. We want to be the church of God. We want to be the church that is vibrant. We want to be the church that's victorious. 
the only way we're a victorious church is when we are really living the church. And we're really living out, we're really letting the Holy Spirit walk, work through us and live through us. And we are daily keeping our, our communication level with God so close, so tight, that I hear Him. And He moves within me. And I move and operate in Him. And when I do that, and when I'm living that way, then I am reflecting a positive approach to the church of God. And to the church of Christ. That's the church, by the way, that He's coming back for. Very soon. That's the church that he's coming back for that's going to rapture out of this world is the church of God. It's not for the church of the professing Christian. It's for the church of the confessing Christian. It's to the church of those that are the repentant Christian. It's the one that says, yeah, I made mistakes. Yes, I made mistakes. Oh, I make them all the time. I'm sorry. And that's what the God wants. He wants that heart. He wants the people that come like that. That's the way we need to live. And that's the way... I need to live, and that's the way you need to live. I want to take communion in a few minutes. And, and as a result, I, I want to take this communion time as an opportunity that we're going to let God work in our lives a little bit. Communion is a very important sacrament of the church. It is honoring the body of Christ. It is celebrating his death and his resurrection. And most importantly, what it's celebrating is the future that we have with him because when Jesus took the last elements at his um, last supper he said I won't eat or drink of these again until I come and receive you back into my home and then we will have a great party and then we will have a great celebration and we will have a great dinner and I will serve you I will serve you. And that's what communion is about. So when we, when we take the time for communion, I, I want to talk about that. I want, to be able to, uh, uh, I want us all to share in that. But there are some stern warnings, though, about communion that we need to talk about a little bit. We can't eat and drink communion unworthily. We have to be careful that when we do take this celebration and we eat and drink, that we're doing so with the Lord watching, discerning our heart, Understanding what's in my heart. And he's looking for that authentic Christian man or woman that really wants to serve him and wants to please him. See, I think that we've been talking about grace a lot in the last few weeks. And I, and I, and I really believe that God is giving us really a good teaching on grace. And, um, and Paul talked about grace. And he talked about it a lot in the end. And the one thing about grace that I think he gave us a real new definition on is that um, I, I do want to read this part. Titus, if you want to turn to Titus chapter 11 or uh, chapter 2, verse 11, and read with this, read this with me, because I think this will help us prepare for communion. It says, "For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men." It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, the concept of grace here is coming up again. As we've been talking about it, we've been talking about grace in the, in the manner or in the, in the way that grace forgives us of sin, which it does do. Thank goodness God's grace forgives us of sin. Without that, we would have nothing. Without God's grace, we would, be, we would be nowhere. We would be hopeless. We would be worse than hopeless. 
But God's grace really is significant. But Paul's saying, though, that we have to have right, the right conduct of accepting God's grace must be founded, though, on right doctrine. Some have misunderstood this verse to mean that all will be saved. All will come under a saving knowledge of Christ. But that's not what Paul is indicating here. The correct interpretation of this verse is that salvation is available to all people. All people, regardless of race, creed, gender, uh, social economic status, it is available to all men. There is no predestination here. There are no that are elected to receive and those that aren't. All people have the availability for God's grace. But what he goes on to say here is there has to be a proper application of God's grace. That's the question. What is it? What is that proper application? God freely gives us his grace for the sin in our lives by Jesus, by him freely giving up his life on the cross as the perfect and holy sacrifice once and for all. Jesus accomplished it on the cross. That is the free grace that we have. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He then gives us grace as a free gift for us to apply in our life. That doesn't mean that all are going to go to heaven. That means that all who call on God's grace go to heaven. But what else does grace do for us other than forgive sins? Let's go back and read verse 12. Verse 12 says, It teaches us to say, something what is who is it it god's grace is it listen god's grace is the word it god's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age do you see what i'm talking about we've applied god's grace as a band-aid We've applied God's grace as a cover-up for sin and taken away the real power of it. The real power of God's grace is this, is that it changes me. It changes me. It's not just to cover up my sin and indiscretion. Thank God it does. Yes, thank God it does. But that's not all. If that's all grace was, then I could never live a victorious life. Because I would, living, I would be living from sin to sin to sin. I would live from guilty conscience to guilty conscience. I would be living from, from moment of indiscretion to moment of forgiveness. Indiscretion, forgiveness. That's not what God's grace is really about. God's grace is so powerful. It's so encompassing. It is so overbearing that it changes me. So that I don't want to sin anymore. So that I don't want to live in those worldly passions anymore. It gives me the power to step away. It gives me the power to make good life choices from now on. It gives me the grace to forgive my past. It gives me the grace to say I'm sorry. But are you really sorry? Here's the difference between confessing and the next step. Confessing is good. Confessing is important. But you have to repent Confess and repent. What does repent mean? 
Somebody shout it out. What's repent mean? Turn around. Change. Confessing just says, I'm, I've confessed my sin. Confessing says, I'm sorry. But we all heard a few weeks ago about King Saul and King David. King Saul finally at the end said, I'm sorry. But he wasn't really sorry that he sinned. He was sorry that he got caught. You can confess and not really be sorry. Okay, but repenting means, I am really sorry. Because now I'm turning around and I'm going a different direction. I am not going to repeat my same sin. I am not going to go down the same path. I am not going to repeat the same indiscretions over and over again. That is repenting. That's what King David did. That's when he came and said, I'm sorry, without any buts, without any conditions. I am just sorry that I did what I did. Please forgive me. That is when God's grace is applied properly. And then and only then are you really saved. Strong words, isn't it? Aren't they? Strong words. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible isn't just in it for the, for the short haul. The Bible is in it for the long-term Christian that really understands repentance and then living a godly life thereafter. Verse 12, it says, And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and then to live, and then to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, what is this age that we live in? This age is pretty bad, isn't it? We have a lot of stuff coming around us at all times. We have a lot of bad ideas. That's what I was encouraging uh, ben and Cam for a little bit earlier. You're going to walk into some things that you've never experienced before. You go into military, you go to college, wherever you go, you're going to be running into, into people that have ideas that are totally foreign to you. And you need to stand up. I need to stand up. We all need to stand up in the age that we're living according to God's grace. God's grace isn't just to cover my sin. God's grace is the thing that changes me from within so that I don't want to live in those worldly passions anymore. That I don't want to have to deal with that. That I'm not tempted by drink anymore. That I'm not tempted by sex. I'm not tempted by gambling. I'm not tempted by all those sins that would going to come around me because I'm so close to living to Jesus that all I want to do is to get more like Jesus. That is God's grace. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. That's why He gave His life for me. So that I would want to be that close to Him. He didn't die on the cross so that I could trample His grace and live the way I wanted to live and then just say, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. I'm going to do what I want to do anyways. That's not why He died. And for those that think that, you will be mistaken come judgment day. We said it a couple weeks ago. There are some of us in this church and our families that we know and our friends that are not going to make heaven, though they think they are today, because they don't have a confessing, repenting relationship with Jesus Christ. They have a, a professing, I know who he is, but I really don't know him. And that's what we need to teach today. And that's what we need to live today. And that is the power of God's grace. So as we prepare for communion this morning, where are you? Where are you today with your God's 
with applying God's grace in your life. Is God really changed me? Has he really, really, really changed me? I mean, am I really living for Jesus? Wow. That is the deepest question I could ever ask. Am I, are you really living for Jesus? Or are you living to be a church member? Are you living to look good in front of your friends and your family? Or are you really living for Jesus? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. It says, whoever, that is, whoever, <laughs> that is, everybody, okay? Everybody. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the, blood, the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, you will be guilty of crucifying him. Let a person then examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see, we can't eat it and we can drink it. He gives us the provision to eat and to drink. But I must, I must make sure that my heart is right with God. I must make sure that I'm living for Jesus. And then I am qualified because of God's grace. Not to be a band-aid for my sin, but to be my change agent. To be the thing that makes the difference for my life, that takes me from a man that is a sinner to a man that is a redeemed man that has a future of heavenly life forever and ever. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. But wait, we serve a loving God. How can God judge people that he loves? Listen, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die a horrific death for me. That's love. That's love. A God that loves me that much has the authority to judge me. He has the right to judge me. Because he loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. Therefore, he has the right to judge me. And he will do so perfectly. Not the way I want to be judged. Not the way that's comfortable for me. But he will do so perfectly. Perfectly. Perfectly, He will judge because he has the right and he has the authority in love. Huh. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. That's a great song. It's amazing grace. I think I'm going to write a song. I'm going to title it Amazing Grace. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. There's consequences to sin. There's consequences to it. We saw it in King David's life, didn't we? God forgave David. David was a man after God's own heart. But there were consequences of sin. What were some of those consequences? He lost a baby. The sword never left David's house. His, his sons um, 
took everything from David, tried to get his family, tried to get his household. But yet David was a man after God's own heart. Because God forgave David. Listen, God forgives you. God forgives you. But you still have consequences. He's not taking them away. He can't take the consequence away. He can't. But he can forgive. And therefore we have forgiveness of sins. And therefore we can eat and drink the body and blood of Christ. And we can celebrate with him because we know that we have a future in heaven where the consequences at that time will be wiped clean. But though the life I live right now, I have to deal with the consequences. Or better yet, gang, young people especially, you don't have to live with the consequences if you don't sin. If you don't make the mistakes that maybe us older people have made, you don't have to deal with the consequences then. Think of that. Think of the promise of that and the hope of that. If I didn't make the mistake, then I don't have to deal with the consequence. Be very careful who you pick as your mate. Be very careful who you decide to marry. Be very careful who you decide to date. Be very careful what you do right now in your young years because you are spring chickens. You are very gentle and you are very fragile fruit of the vine. And if you protect yourself, you will be unblemished and you will be not bruised and you won't have the consequence of sin. It's a great thing. It's a hope. You're so fortunate to be able to hear the Word of God, to hear the truth of the Word of God, and then apply it in your life. Now, for those that have sinned, it's okay. We're going to get through this thing. Yes, we have consequences, and they're not fun, but you know what? So what? So what? Life's hard right now. So what? I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus, and I've got the hope, and I've got the promise of eternal life, and I can get through anything in this world because I have that hope. I can get through anything. It doesn't make any difference. First of all, the rapture is coming fast. Hopefully it will be this year. I would love it to be this year. I would love it to be this year. But I want to live, though, like I'm going to be 104. I'm going to plan to live old in life. I'm going to plan to be an old man when I die with grandkids. Which, by the way, I have a daughter, a granddaughter on the way. I met the mount that last week and summer was here and I forgot. But yet I have to live my life like this could be my last. As the ushers would come, prepare for communion this morning. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. I know we were going to have body ministry now. And what I'd like you to do is um, exercise your faith. As you receive these elements today, go ahead, gentlemen, if you would go ahead and pass them out. As you receive these elements today, if you have uh, an illness in your body, apply the, the forgiveness and the grace of God as you take the elements. God heals through your faith. doesn't heal through my prayers. He heals through your faith. You can be sitting right there in that seat, drinking that cup of communion juice, eating that wafer, and God will heal you instantly. Also, if you have, if you're not sure if you should eat or drink this morning of this because of sin, all you need to do is this. Confess and repent of your sin. Confess and repent of your sin and you are qualified to eat of, the, of, of this celebration today. 
But make sure, though, you do that. Don't take an element. Don't drink this if you're not sure. If you're not sure, don't take it. I don't care who's sitting next to you. You're not trying to play a game. You're not trying to take it because you want to look like it. Make your heart right with God. Make your heart right with God. We're going to pray before we eat and drink. We're going to give everybody an opportunity to make sure that their heart's right, to make sure that they've asked Jesus into their life, to make sure they're living a holy life and not living a game. Again, it says, but if we judged ourselves truly, in other words, if we really honestly judged ourselves, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. God loves us so much that he disciplines us. Thank you, Jesus, for, for disciplining me. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing that condemnation and that, that guilt in me. That Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing that sin out in my life. Thank you for allowing that to happen, that disciplined me to get me back on the right track. Thank you for loving me so much that you're willing to discipline me. A person that doesn't discipline their children doesn't really love their children. A person that lets their children be who they want to be, thinking that that's cool, you don't love your children if that's the case. Because you're letting them go into their own world of destruction because the devil is seeking to whom he may devour, and that is your children. That is me and that is you. That's why Jesus, that's why God disciplines me because he does not want me to be uh, prey to the enemy. He would rather discipline me and put me through a little hard time, put me through a little stress, put me through a little pressure so that I turn my eyes to Jesus and that I ask for his forgiveness and I repent of my sin. And when I do that, then he is faithful and just to forgive. He will not leave anybody on the outskirts if you've asked for forgiveness. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. That is the hope. That is the promise that we will not be condemned as the world is condemned. Spend some time in prayer right now as we're preparing this time. Ask yourself the question, where am I? Where is, where am I, where's my relationship with Jesus? If you have a doubt, if you have a question, ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to blot out that iniquity and that sin in your life. Ask him to apply the grace of God in your life. But then here's the next thing you need to do. Tell somebody that you did it. And then hold yourself accountable to it. If you're continuing to live with bad choices, stop it. Stop it. Repent. Turn around. Go the other direction. It may not be popular. You may have to answer some questions to some people that may be confused of why you're doing what you're doing. But they're not important. Who is important is Jesus because someday... You're going to stand before him and he's going to say, what did you do with me? What did you do with my sacrifice? What did you do with my blood that I shed? Listen, all the other people that you're going to have to answer questions to are inconsequential to Jesus. When you answer to God, you answer to everything. 
You answer to Jesus in love today and say, forgive me, Father. I'm going to change. I'm going to change. This is the first day of a new life for me. I am not going to do that again. If I have to change relationships, I change relationships. Boys and girls, if you have boyfriends and girlfriends you don't like, you should be with them. Get rid of them. If they're not godly, then don't date them. Stop. I'm telling you right now, I'm only saving you from future problems. I'm only saving you from future headaches and future future aggravations. If they're not godly people today, you're not going to save them. That's not your job. It's not your responsibility. And don't think you can. You pick a man that is or a woman that is serving God. And I'll tell you something else. God's got one out there for you. He's got the perfect one out there for you. If you'll be patient, if you'll wait on me, if you'll wait on him, he will give you the perfect relationship. Don't settle. You're worth more than that. Don't settle for what comes second best. And any other sin that may be besetting, it's not just that. Don't settle. Father, now we come before you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to forgive us of our sins this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just do your work. You are the only one that can bring salvation. We can speak the word, we can speak the truth, but unless you're moving in the hearts of the people, this is for nothing. So, Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name that your work would be done. I pray that you would have the impact, you would have the authority, you would do what you need to do in our hearts today to transact the transaction that must be done. So forgive us today for all those here that are questioning. Repeat after me, Jesus. All of us, let's just say the word because we all can say it. We all need to repeat. We can all say this, Jesus. I come to you with my sin. Maybe it's unintentional. Maybe it's intentional. But I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry that I sinned. Please help me to change. Let your grace be all-powerful, all-encompassing, that I would never be the same. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you take this bread in your hand, this is the, blood of, this is the body of Christ. We're going to pray. We're going we're to partake in that in a minute. This is the thing that saves us. Brad, would you ask a blessing? Amen. Amen. Let's partake it together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the cup that we have in our hand signifies the blood of Christ. The blood gives life. Life is in the blood. When Jesus poured out his blood on that day, he gave us life. He gave us healing. He gave us a fullness in our life. He gave us the ability to live life abundantly. Not just sneaking through, not just getting by, 
but victoriously and abundantly. He gives us life through the blood. And that's what this cup signifies today. So as we drink this, let's thank God for the life that he has. Amen. Riley, would you pray over the blood, please? Thank you, Father. Amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Jackie, if you could sing a song. Let's just sing a song of praise. Let's celebrate a little bit of what just happened, what we just had. Communion with God, our Father. Jesus, our healer. And let's just celebrate. Let's just worship him for a few minutes as we get ready to leave today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You can stand up if you want to. thank you again this morning for your mercy and your grace that you apply we thank you for that we thank you jesus now we just ask lord that as we go through this day we have celebrations of graduations today of of next steps in people's lives lord help us to celebrate today with them and honor them today with that go with us lord and most of all lord let us take the church of christ with us today That as we leave this place, Lord, help us to understand that the temple of Christ is leaving in this place. The church is walking out the door. The church is walking out the door. We're not leaving the church when we leave this place because it's going with us. Help us to understand that and help us to live in it this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. Say